Did you know 77% of women who wear bladder weakness products experience intimate skin irritation? As if having incontinence wasn't stressful enough. But Tenna Intimate Pads have been gynecologist tested and do not cause skin irritation. Gentle on my intimate skin. I need to try Tenna Intimate Pads. Visit TennaSample.com for your free sample. Kind to skin protects like Tenna. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. The levels are set. The mics are ready. Testing, testing, one, two, three. So strap yourself in. It's time to go one-on-one with Bill Alexander. Let's go. Hi, and welcome to this edition of One-on-One with Bill Alexander. Something new, something different. You actually get to see me now. Not only you get to see me, which we've done that in the past, you actually get to see my guest in his home in North Carolina. John Daly, how are you doing today? Bill, doing great. Thank you so much. Uh, You know, you said something new. I know it's something new recording, but something old is you got me on here. Well, okay, you said it, I didn't. But uh, what, what's really interesting about this is is where where our technology is going because we were talking off the uh, program about when you and I both started in the industry, we never thought something like this would be able to happen, let alone doing it in our own homes. It's phenomenal. I mean, I, I do a lot of Zoom interviews. Uh, I've got a new podcast. It's a sports and entertainment podcast that I'm doing with Eric Snyder aka fish it's called daily fish and uh we're we're amazed at the not only the people the big names we get on like brian cranston johnny bench ken singleton john o'hurley um but they come on the air and you know they're on with us and they're they're mixing drinks with us i mean they're doing things that you know are normally they wouldn't do so you do get a chance to get a uh, like a bird's eye view of people that you normally you normally wouldn't get and uh, so I, I think it's great. And, I, you know, the COVID has only exacerbated this. It's made it even more popular. And, you know, when you, when you listen to the trends uh, that are happening, you know, television is tech, television as we know it and cable TV is, as we know it is on its way out. Streaming is right. continuing. Streaming is not going anywhere. So, um, so this, is, this is actually the future. And, you know, if you look at, Spotify. I mean, if you if you have your show on Spotify, not only are you getting paid, but you're you're getting a lot of people who are following you. So it's uh, it's it's the new realm. And I think you know, as we talk, and I know you and I talk about social media being, you know, there are the bad side of social media where people can just say whatever they want to say, and you know, they can put out disinformation. What I love about this is it 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 kind of allows you to have more conversations with people and allows you to. 
um, you know, to see them. That's what I was saying to you before. It's like, you know, getting the expression on people's faces, getting their body language. It's, it's a lot more interesting. You're giving a lot more information than just just hearing them talk. So, yeah, I, I think it's 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 the wave of the future. I don't think it's going anywhere. That's for sure. And the thing I think coming from a radio background is that whenever you talk to somebody that was usually over a telephone, it was it was it, you just heard this disjointed voice. You never were able to picture the person with the person that you were talking with. And now this gives us the opportunity that not only can I hear what you say, I can also see the facial expression. I can also get the one-on-one connection. And even the audience, when they see it, they get the one-on-one connection because they see you not looking directly at me, but looking directly at you whenever they watch the video, which again, I think is something a little bit unusual for some of us old guys to have someone sitting there and just staring at us and talking to us. It, it, it is different, that's for sure. But uh, it's, uh, you know, if you're used to television. I think a lot of people are getting used to it. I mean, we're seeing uh, there's one of the most popular podcasts, and I can't remember the name of it. It's two or three of the stars from The Sopranos. And that's yes. all they're doing is just they're talking about The Sopranos each time. And they're making a ton of money. And somebody else was telling me there's a couple of stars uh, Jason Bateman from Ozarks. They said he's not doing Ozarks because he's making more money doing this podcast. And so, I mean, when you're beginning to see that, that 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 tells you something. So there are people who are really situated for it that can do it. And, you know, someone like you who's who's done radio before. I mean, really, it's not like you're sitting there staring and glamping into the uh, into the camera. You're you're talking, you're doing your thing. Right. And uh, they're just getting another bird's eye view of you. Uh, and, you know, it's like all those years they've been hearing you talk. They're going, okay, now I get to see what Bill really looks like. Well, the, the thing is, is that um, when I started doing this program again a couple years back, we actually worked it out with a local cable company that the local cable station would actually give us the opportunity to air the program weekly. So I could only do video on one side, which was, of course, me. And there was always a photograph of the voice of the other person I was talking to on the phone. Now I'm thinking about renegotiating the deal with the cable company and say, here, look, I got both of us on screen. Now this may be something interesting to watch. But um, again, it, it, it's interesting to see the progression happen over a period of time. But uh, I understand you're now teaching college on a community college level. Yeah, um, I'm in Brunswick uh, County, which is right in between Myrtle Beach South Carolina and Wilmington, North Carolina, and Brunswick County, North Carolina is a booming county. And uh, they have a community college there that was just over the last two years, two years in a row, was named the number one community college in America. Wow. And so after they won it the first year, they asked me to come and teach this course. And I said, well, you're going to lose your rating. Well, they won it again <laughs> in spite of me being there teaching with them. Um, and they're a great college, just a great, great college. And I can you know, again, we've talked about trends before. I can see a lot of these major universities that are teaching liberal arts and stuff like it's going to start going to these community yes. colleges that are teaching, you know, HVAC. They're teaching emergency services that are, you know, you know the things that are going to be more important to daily living and to jobs locally. So what they asked me to do was their small business center wanted me to do a course on how to shoot your business videos off the iPhone. Since I wrote okay. a book on it. And so, so I did um, three uh, one, one hour and 30 minute sessions 
Uh, I had to do it virtually. Um, and primarily it was just, you know, how, how do you do it and how you can do it so the videos look professional, how you can do it so that um, you don't get injured or hurt, so you can, you know, be careful. And then at the same time, too, if you don't want to do the editing, how to shoot it in a way so you can get it to an editor. Uh, and then right. also kind of teaching people how to interview, how, how to do it the right way, how to, you know, how to, how to structure things, uh, you know. So it was, uh, it was actually a lot of fun for me. The only thing I didn't like, and, and, and this is something I got to ask you about, was that not a lot before, but anytime I have taught anywhere, uh, I've been in front of a class. I've been right. in front of them. And so you get the experience. It was so weird for me because... You know, I'm interjecting my funny, goofy humor and, you know, there's no response because it's virtual. So you can't see them yes. or anything like that. How do you do that? Is there something it's, different you do teaching virtually? It, it actually the interesting thing about it is I'm still not comfortable doing it because when I teach virtually, not only do I have kids that are out of the classroom, I also have kids in front of me. So I have a, a, a hybrid type model between the two. So I can still do those funny quips or those stories and the kids I still get reaction out of. And occasionally the kids that are watching online, I'll get a comment or two interjecting. The only problem is I don't respond to the kids online quick enough when they interject because everything is a free flow of thought. And they may be commenting, but I don't know they're commenting until after the fact. So that's something that I have to work on. But I've been doing virtual learning now for, oh, since what, the spring of 2020, which was totally new to me back then. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I give you credit for it. And the other thing is because you got delays. You know, even when I'm watching really good, good interviews on television, when they're yeah. interviewing somebody remotely, I mean, it's confusion. It's people talking over. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. No, go ahead. No, right. you, know, you go ahead. No, you, you know, so you lose. So it, it's it's I, I'm going to say it's uncomfortable. It is and it isn't. Um, I think um, I think most people are kind of OK. I get it. You know, and they've kind of accepted it. Whereas maybe before or at first, probably when, you know, you were starting teaching or uh, starting teaching in, in March of 2020 or when people started doing interviews like that remotely. Um, I think people were getting a little frustrated, but I think they're used to it now. You make the comment about about people stepping over top of each other. To really learn how to do the skill is do an interview over the telephone for the first time because you can't see their reaction. You don't know when they're going to talk. And there are times you're going, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. And, and, and you correct it. But over a period of time, you can pretty much estimate or guess when the person is going to come on and you know when to shut up or so on and so forth. So, yeah, it is, it, it is difficult and it's a skill that not many people know anymore because we have been using um, video, text messaging and everything else. Talking to people is a skill that we've lost in some cases. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I think this is bringing it back. So we're having more interaction even though a lot of people are you know they've got their heads stuck in their phone if they got their heads stuck in their phone watching somebody being interviewed that's a that's kind of a different story so uh yeah i think you're you're beginning to see you know be curious if, if we talk in about four or five years to see where this is going and then what effect it does have on people because we're you know we're going through we talked about this before we're just going through a ton of changes 
Well, I think it's interesting when you said that because when I talked to you the first time about a year and a half ago, just the changes we've gone through that period of time, um, and we talked about the website that you were working with called News.TV, making mm-hmm. or giving the people the opportunity to be their own citizen journalists and going out and having their own page and being able to do that, that right there, I think, is giving people credibility um, and telling a story that they want to tell without going through the major news outlets. Yeah, and you can you can go around a lot of different things and get to a lot of people, um, which in some respects is good. In other respects, it's bad. If you're if you're somebody that hasn't had training or you don't have a uh, on-off switch that will, um, instead of telling people your feelings, telling them what's going on, uh, a little scary um, but um it's uh you know it's a double-edged sword uh it's it's like everything else i mean some of it's really good and some of it's like wow you don't need that person on there at all that's i was on news tv yesterday which i will say was the first time in a while and again i probably should have been on it sooner but have you seen it turn into what you you and the original the uh, the creator wanted it to turn into or is it still just still under the radar? I think it's it's overall it's really under the radar. I think okay. um, in the area where I am, um, I'm noticing a lot of people come up to me and go, "Hey, you're the news guy," okay. and um, and so and again, we're we're still in startup mode. You know, he's he's working on uh, some funding. Um, it's become more of a kind of a chamber of commerce type thing, helping local businesses. Okay. Uh, have I done news stories? Yeah, like I did a tornado that hit here and you know killed three people. I just did a bomb threat at a local school. I went live uh, on okay. there doing that. Um, so it's still it's still a little in flux. Um, we're waiting for sponsors and businesses to kind of jump on board. Um, it's, it's a ton of fun. I mean, I'm, I still enjoy going out there. It gives me a chance to be the, you know, news reporter I used to be without right. having somebody telling what to do. And, um, so it's, um, yeah, I mean, and, and folks are interested, the best way to go is go to, uh, if you go to news N O O Z and go look at the Facebook pages that news has, um, they're actually, reconstructing their site the news.tv n-o-o-z.tv that's being reconstructed but they're um the the guy will head who who started he he thinks he's close he thinks there's a lot of people are interested and i do i do believe there's a need for it um you know especially we're we're kind of in a rural area we're in between two cities myrtle beach and wilmington they're not exactly huge cities by any means Um, but they are cities, they're urban areas and, um, they could both cover Brunswick County. And the only time they come down here is when, you know, when there's a hurricane or there's been a murder, which we never have down here. Um, and that's, and that's rare. And so the area here doesn't really have, we've got a weekly newspaper called the Brunswick Beacon, which is a very good weekly newspaper. Uh, but there's no radio station. There's no daily newspaper here. Um, and so news could fill that void in in a great way. And in some respects, we do. I mean, I do cover some issues like, you know, the price of water 
is going up in, in certain towns because of things that are going on environmentally as well as business-wise. Um, you know, the traffic here is starting to get kind of kind of bad. At the same time, too, it's really expanding. I mean, they're getting like 2,000 new homes going into the area. Um, just covered a story of this incredible golf course called um, Farmstead. Uh, and it's iconic worldwide around because their 18th hole is a par six. And just found out this beautiful course with this iconic par six 18th hole that everybody talks about. The course is closing at the end of October because oh. a developer came in and he's going to build million dollar houses there because this place is really beginning to boom. So the golfers are like, oh, they're just they're distraught over the whole thing. But at the same time, too, you're beginning to see progress with people wanting to come down to the beach area. They want to come down to an area in the south. Um, so, you know, there's there's some fascinating stories that are happening here that, you know, I think news could could actually tackle and you know i have but i you know i need more time and you know we need money right. to to make it happen but i i think in a lot of areas now is this going to work in a big city i don't think so it will work more as a chamber of commerce type thing that right. you can get stuff out on social media but um in 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 rural areas or in you know small areas that just don't have you know a newspaper covering them i, I mean this is to me, it's it, it makes a ton of sense because where I'm at is in a, a an area very similar to that. We have Pittsburgh to our north and Morgantown to our south, mm-hmm. and we don't have a TV station. We do have one local radio station, but that local radio station is pretty much bartered programming, and nothing is is um, original or created. It's via satellite, and then we have a newspaper. That I think they still have one or two reporters, but they're publishing nothing but news releases that the local cool. businesses or organizations give them because they don't have the 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 uh, the resources to do what they did 15, 20, 25 years ago. Which I'm sad to see these types of things happening, but we're going to see it happening more than we see them to, to come back. I th- I agree with you, and uh, I actually I had somebody call me about a job offer to do radio in two or three rural markets. Uh I have to get up at like four o'clock in the morning and do the news hits for these stations. And I'm going like, I don't even live there. And I go, well, now we don't care. You stay at home. You are, but you've got to kind of figure out what's going on. And then you got to kind of do the, the local news hit for them. And I'm like, you can't find somebody to do it. Part of and so I would be doing it for three or four stations in three or four different markets, and so they're going to save money because they don't have to house me. They can just pay me a fee, and you know they're probably not going to they're not going to pay my health insurance or anything like that. Um, and the thing is, is that you know these radio stations, and it's the same thing with local yeah. TV stations. Yeah, um, they, they can't they cannot compete with Facebook and Twitter and the social media ads because those ads not only are more effective and reach more people because people are going to be looking right at it. Um, they target people. They target the people you want to have target. You boost them. You're, you're going to reach a lot of people. If you're you know, hey, um, I'm on my phone. Now, let me find a good restaurant nearby. Well, 
whatever restaurant nearby is going to pop up on your phone. Oh, yeah, that looks really good. Let's go there. Right. When you watch a TV ad on television, you know, you don't watch TV ad on television. Why? Because you're either flipping the channel or you're going to get something to eat. Yes. So they're not effective. And, you know, I talk to a lot of people about um, one of the reasons they think cable is going to die is because these um, the cable fees are going up because they've got to pay cable fees to the stations to carry their signal. Mm-hmm. And they're beginning to say it's way too expensive. And those cable fees for a lot of TV company, for a lot of TV stations, half the revenue for that TV station for the year comes from those cable fees. And the cable right. companies are saying, ah, I'm not going to do that. So you're going to start seeing streaming. Um, either the cable key, the cable companies are going to stop providing programming, except maybe some local programming, and they're just going to do streaming or um, they're just going to do Internet service. And so that's that's the next change that's coming. So TV news stations, I think, are going to be out of business unless you're in a major you know, in one of the bigger major markets, like I don't think New York City, L.A., Chicago, I don't think the major state, Houston, I don't think they're going to lose their TV station, but they're probably going to be different. They're probably going to be more streaming and they're probably going to be more um, instead of at five o'clock or at five o'clock news. It's going to be no, it's going to be news whenever it's breaking and what's ever there. Right. And and I'm one of those people that cut the cable I cut it right before the whole pandemic started, so it's been about a year and a half now. And what's interesting about it is I haven't missed it because I can still watch my local stations. I have an antenna on the side of the house. I can see my locals. I can see some of the nostalgia TV programming out there. And that's all I need. We thought we were going to miss all this stuff, and we didn't because, like you said, you have streaming services to pick up. And since I cut the cable, I increased my streaming uh, service up to a higher bandwidth. So now I can stream more and actually produce more content than I was doing before, which is really nice. But what I think is really interesting to you about these news stations coming to you to do it, I want to know where you find them at because everybody that asks me to do stuff, they're asking me to do it for free. (laughs) I just, I have have Um, done, I'm doing, um, I've done two radio program. I've done a radio program for a national station that I just left uh, within the last month and I was doing it for them and I love doing it, but I wasn't getting paid to do it. I was just getting name recognition and then a local station around here that's based about a hundred miles north of me. Um, they contacted me and he said, would you be willing to do it? And I said, I can do one night a week, not a problem, and I'm doing it there. But again, the only way I'm going to get paid for it is if I sell my own advertising for it or sponsorships for the program. Yeah. Well, and that's that's true, especially having your own show. No, they wanted me literally to, to, to come in and do like five-minute newscast in between you know music or whatever. They didn't even have... I don't even think they had talk or anything. I don't, I don't know. To me, <laughs> well, is if, if you've got a local talk show, you can have you can have that guy do the news. That host Just have somebody it. write the news. What's interesting about it, and I did not know this because I was just doing talk radio from my home studio that was being rebroadcast on six radio stations throughout the United States. Um, and they took the program as a package deal, and they would air it when they could. There was two stations running it live. 
which was more trouble than it was worth. But I mm-hmm. found out that there are stations out there that are voice tracking, which in other words, the music is on their servers. You come in, you talk about what you want to talk about, drop it in, and a computer does it, and it literally sounds like you're in their studio. I'm going, I wish I would have known about this 30 years ago. I would have invested one heck of a, a piece of change in a home studio, and I would have never left. Yeah, that's true. And a, and a lot of people are doing that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just like the old syndication. I mean, you just, yeah. you're one person who's on a lot of different stations. Yeah. yeah. And they don't have and to that, pay the local yeah. person, you know, and, and, you know, pay their, their insurance and pay their other stuff. So, yeah, that's where technology is coming in and yeah, reducing and a lot of jobs. It's a good thing and it's a bad thing. And I know that that's the way Sirius Satellite Radio is doing it now, is their hosts are all over the United States in their own home studios and they don't have to pay for a major building. All they have to do is pay for a server site that updates to a satellite feed, and that's it. I mean, they've literally got it to a cost-effective point right now that the subscriptions costs have dropped almost in half compared to what they were 20 years ago, which is amazing yeah. that satellite radio has been around for 20 years. But So we we're, we're talking about the, the books that you've written and all that. Now... The big thing that I wanted you on the program for was this coming Saturday is the 20th anniversary of 9-11, which for most of us who was who went through it, it's it's a day that we'll never forget. Excuse me. (coughs) It's a day we'll never forget. However, there are adults out there right now that weren't around or were too young to understand what happened on that day. For example, I have a 21-year-old son who was just a few months old when the event happened. How do you explain it to someone of that age or someone that was a, was a toddler and they're now in their, in their mid-20s, early, or mid to late 20s, explain to them what the significance of this day was because they don't know what life was before on 9-10-2001. They only know what life is after 9-11-2001. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I, I would tell them to go read a book called The Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright, which was in, I believe it was in 2005, 2006, is a great look back, especially a ho- historical look back uh, of, of what happened. To me, it's the quintessential book on 9-11. Um, and, you know, it also showed how, you know, the 1993 attack on the uh, twin towers that you know didn't take it down by any means but it was it was a wake-up call and we didn't pay attention to it um no. it also shows you, you know for instance um you know getting on a plane you know the difference of getting on a plane before 9-11 after 9-11 you know and it still continues today um with the way we have to get on it um you know at the same time too it's um are, are things do do we still I know we still think of 9-11 and we still we think the horror that we went through yet at the same time too, 20 years removed. I think we think, well, I think we're safer. You know, are we OK? You know, in some respects, we are in, in some respects we have. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, we're we're more it's more dangerous now uh, with domestic terror after we had the January 6th uh, 
incident at the Capitol. So um, it's um, I think it's 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 still fascinating to to look back um, and to kind of realize, um, you know, Osama bin Laden was, you know, he was he was actually kind he was kind of a nutcase, if you think about it, kind of a knucklehead. Um, uh, one of the great things that Lawrence Wright book kind of points out was that, you know, he's supposed to be this big hero. And, you know, what he uncovered was whenever there was these guys, you know, Al Qaeda was going into battle on that day. He got sick. He never went into battle. He was just kind of he kind of eh, I can't go in. I got I got to lean back. Um, yeah. Used to always tell people he was six foot four. He wasn't six foot four. He was six feet. Uh, he goes into hiding, you know, and eventually we we, we take him down. Um, but I think it's uh, I think for us, what 9-11 did was it kind of woke us up to a lot of things that I think once we're in the covid and, and as, as as badly as I think we've handled covid, we've also handled yeah. it really well. I mean, the fact that we turned things, the technology around, um, you know, to get the to get the um, virus, uh, you know, to get the vaccinations out there. So I think it, it kind of ushered in the end of the 1990s into this totally new world. And, you know, your, you know, I, you know, you know, your son, I'm thinking of anybody that was born in the 1990s. Um, you know, I feel sorry for a lot of these kids because, you know, they've had to go through 9-11. Uh, they then had to go through the financial crisis of 2008, um, the pandemic the insurrection of January 6th, um, a lot of them, you know, and and I have sympathy for a lot of these young kids. And I know a lot of people, oh, they're woke and they're just, you know, they're, yeah. I think we, we put a lot of stuff on them that that's really difficult. I think we got to be a little bit more understanding. Do we need to say buck up? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we need to say that. But at the same time, too, I mean, I never I never went through that. I mean, I remember the financial crisis of 1987. I was, yeah, I was working at the time. Um, I can remember 68 when, you know, we had all those assassinations. Right. Um, but, you know, there was, you know, we were, we were pretty protected uh, growing up there. So these, I think these, these young people, the ones who are in their, you know, who are in their mid to late twenties to early thirties. I mean, they've got to look, and 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 I know they're looking at, you know, their parents, you know, people like you and me, and they're saying, "Boy, you guys had it good. We don't have it that good. I don't know if we're going to have a lifestyle like you have." And in what you, what we had to go through as as young people, you guys didn't. Uh, so, so I I understand that, and I understand that there's a difference in you know the millennials, the Gen Xers compared to we here in in the baby boom generation. What what I think is interesting about it is I don't think when I was younger in my twenties and um, even in my even in my early thirties before nine eleven happened did I really think about the differences between the generations because I knew who the boomers were the only reason the boomers were the boomers is because of after World War Two and I don't think there was any there was any specific difference between that generation because i was born two years later after the final boomer was born and i'm in the new mm -hmm. the next one and then all of a sudden we've named all these generations to identify these different people and it's like 
why do we feel the need to 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 separate us even more by giving each other a name so we can call them something other than who they are because i think a lot of the time that that creates animosity when you start talking about the xers and the millennials and the gen zers and all that because i mean you 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 go back to the idea of everybody get off my lawn and you're talking about the boomers and the and the, and those people i don't understand why we need to segment the group of population that we have right now no matter how old or young they are well, I think of a lot of it has to do with the, you know, academic elitists that are getting into you know, sociology, psychology okay. in some respects. Um, and again, double edged sword here. Uh, I'm not I'm not knocking them for that because we do want to try to understand where they're coming from. The problem is in trying to understand where they're coming from. Now we're we're knocking them. And um, right. It's. um uh, the, the fact that that not only technologies change, but there's so many things that have gone on that are affecting them. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, you know, in the 1990s was the height of, I mean, look at the economic prosperity that we had. And the reason was because there were so many baby boomers there who were at the height of theirs. Then you got to the 9-11 um, and, you know, 2001 to 2010, um, and you had the financial crisis and it's like it was it was different. And, and, and again, I've always said that, you know, there's two things. There's one is uh, demographics and two, there's technology. And those are the two main factors that override everything. And, okay. you know, the early 2000s was when the baby boomers were kind of getting out of being the economic engine. And right you know, now you get into the teens up to the 2020. The baby boomers are now we're, we're retiring. I mean, most yeah. of us are or more than half of us are, you know, relying on uh, four of us are relying on one Gen Xer or millennial to support us in our retirement. Whereas, you know, when I was in my 30s or 40s, uh, there was four of us taking care of one retiree ahead of us. And it's 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 totally different from that. But if I go back to the 1990s, wow, totally different. Go back to even 2000 to 2010, totally different. Right. 2010 to 2020, totally different. And now it's so so when you when you think about the effects that they have on especially kids growing up, and the the other thing is is it's, a lot of it has to do with the media is that. You know, when you and I were growing up, I mean, we had ABC, NBC, CBS. I mean, we didn't right. have phones or all this stuff coming at us. And, you know, you know, kids today can stay up all night, you know, looking at one of these and and, and coming up with different stuff or they they're they're with their friends. We never had that. I mean, you and I never even had a phone or anything like that. So. Um, and the first you know, one you I, might have I had to buy myself, so that's even another story for another time. But well, yeah, the, well, yeah, and kids. same with me. So, so what, what I'm saying is, is that uh, you know everything has sped up because of technology, uh, certainly over the last 15, 20 years, and um, so as a result of it, you know these kids are having different effects. Of, of, of what's going on. So I understand why we're studying them and why we're breaking them down. It's, 
I think in, in an effort to help them more than anything else. But at the same time, too, I agree with you. I, I think if it's like, what are you? Are you and a millennial? Oh, you're a millennial. OK, yeah. I know what type you are. You're going to call me a Karen. You know, I mean, that that's you're right. It, it, it can create more animosity. Yeah. And a lot of people have called me Karen many times. So just so you know that. So when you when you look back at 9-11 and if and if you we could take the technology that we have now and take it back to September 10th, 2001, do you think 9-11 would have been covered much different than it was? Because if you remember when we go back then, yes, there was a cable news cycle, but not the way it is now. You still had Peter Jennings. You still had Dan Rather. You still had Tom Brokaw. Three of some of the most trusted individual in news that you would just watch them and, and hang on every word. But if we would take what we have today back then, do you think things would have been covered differently? I think they would have been covered more and you would have gotten more insight into more things. You probably would have gotten a lot okay. more uh, disinformation as well. But yeah, you would have had, um, you know, you would have people like you and me who can pick up our phone and, and do a live shot off of a right. phone, you know, into into a Facebook page. So, yeah, I think it would have been I, I think it, it could have it probably would cause a little bit more chaos because you just don't know who to trust, who to believe. And, you know, again, one of the reasons I wrote the book is how do you find, you know, the trustworthy person to cover? But um yeah, I think it I think it would. I mean, just look at the, the, the January 6th insurrection. I mean, look at all the video that's out there now that's actually helping the prosecutors uh, that also, you know, helped us. I mean, when I was, um, you know, when I was uh, kind of watching, I mean, I was not only watching the, the two or three news outlets, but I was watching my screen and I was actually watching social media and stuff like that. I think I told you the story about. <clears throat> Uh, and I know they're just starting the trial in Paris on the uh, um, 2015 terrorist hacks there. Yes. And um, yes. this was so again, this was 2015. And I always tell the story of um, I was I was out playing golf when it when it first started breaking. My phone went off. So my wife and I were just finishing up, got home. And so she goes, I'll make dinner. She goes, I know you want to kind of watch this. So I put the computer on, had the phone there watching on TV. So I started going on social media and then I started reposting things. So I was getting stuff from, you know, France 24, from, um, you know, the different, um, you know, the BBC and uh, what's the uh, what's the Fox, the Murdoch one over there. And uh, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on it, but um, Sky News, Sky News. Sky so I was yeah, getting... Okay. Uh, so I was getting all that and, you know, and actually reputable news sources. And then I was getting stuff from the State Department. And I'm about three or four years removed from being a news anchor at the time. But I'm still doing this and I'm doing it based on what you know, I saw some stuff come across. I'm not going to repost that. OK, I saw that. OK, that makes sense. So I reposted a couple of things like, OK, if, if you have somebody over there, the State Department says, call this number. So I, I reposted it. So I kind of followed it for, oh, God, for probably about four, five, six hours till it ended. Um, and then I, I I got two or three. I don't know if it were texts. I don't know if it was emails. I don't know if it was 
Twitter messages or whatever. But I had a couple people say, thank you very much. I followed you the whole time because I've got a child who's in okay. school, who's in college over in Paris. And thank you. I actually stayed with you and watched it. And I thought to myself, out of all my years of being a journalist, uh, the three or four years removed what I did on social media. To me, I felt I did more as a journalist in that one night than I had in a lot of my career as right. far as trying to help people. So I think that, um, you know, in, in the right hands, I, I think we could help a lot of people. I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was the there was a there was a huge attack in. In fact, I think I I'm trying to remember where I wrote about this, but it was um, a huge the huge attack in, in Bombay, in uh, in Mumbai where um, they, they killed all these different people. And it was really at the start, Twitter had just come on board. And these people who had Twitter were actually tweeting to the cops to tell them where they were. And the cops were telling them, stay there or move out of there. And this was the first thing. I mean, Twitter had only been around maybe, I mean, a couple of months at the time. And it was just hitting it big. And it actually helped save a lot of people. So... Um, I think the more we're getting out there, the more it's actually gonna, gonna, going to help people more than anything else. It's still going to be used for disinformation, and it's still, you know, it's a double-edged sword. I, I think, and, and I, the, the more that I, I keep looking at things that I see online, especially with the whole, whole COVID and the mask and the insurrection on the 6th, anybody can go online and create content and people will believe it. Yeah. Going back to what you said before about having trusted sources, is there a way that we can actually maybe train school individuals in some way, shape, or form before we let them go out and start publishing this stuff? Do you think it's the responsibility of the platforms to do that instead of them trying to clean up every fire that happens afterwards? I think so. Um, let, let me use an analogy that's it's, it's a little strange, but, um, you know, anybody can walk out on a golf course in America. But I think over in, in the UK, you have to have a registered handicap to show that you've either taken golf lessons okay. or you've played in a certain way. So if you want to play St. Andrews, if your handicap is over 25, which means you're not that good of a golfer, you can't play and you got to show your card. Um, a little bit of a goofy analogy, but yeah, I do think so. Um, you know, I, I guess, could you could you be on social media, on Facebook and and see things, but not post? I guess. But yeah, I would I would do it that way. I would say, yeah, you've got to show that. You're competent and you know what's going on. But here, I would take it a step further. I would make every person who's running for Congress has to go and take a test. I agree. <coughs> I'm just I'm, I'm flabbergasted at, you know, Tommy Tuberville is, you know, a former football coach at Auburn. He's now a senator. He doesn't know the yeah. three branches of government. I mean, how do you well, how do you how does somebody like that get in there? It's like well, we had a we had a president my has to get licensed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the woman who so, cuts my hair has to be licensed. Yes, she had to go through more training than the, right. the person who's senator who's passing laws. So 
I think, yeah, I think there, there does need to be more stuff like that. And I do think, um, I do think because these social media platforms, uh, you know, and I, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to make as much money as possible. On the other hand, if you're causing, you know, danger, and again, at the same time, too, I'm going to I'm going to say this. Facebook is a brilliant. It's brilliant as far as getting the word out for businesses. It's I mean, they reach a lot of people. I mean, I've I've been posting videos, you know, for some companies and they're getting 20,000 hits at restaurants who say to me, stop putting it up there. I'm out of food. You know, I mean, that's how good it is. <laughs> On the other hand, it's you know, you got the you got the other stuff again, double edged sword. You got the, you got the goofy stuff. I think, yeah, if you're going to post, if you're going to be somebody who's a content provider, you you have to prove to yourself and you have to take a test or you have to you have to do something. I would say, yes. Now, are they going to do that? No, that's more expense for them. They probably don't want to do that. Um, But I think it's also up to the individual who's taking in the stuff to. And that's why I wrote the book, you know, the no BS guide to navigating a media biased world so that you can kind of, okay, eh, that's, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not going to follow that. Or, you know what, that's, that's a bunch of malarkey. And nine times out of 10, you can read stuff. At least I can, and I can go, yeah, right. Come on. You know, but, so. But, but the, the population I'm worried about is the population that can't distinguish between true fact and someone manipulating a fact to make themselves look good. This whole thing about the sheep dewormer being used for COVID prevention, and we have a national podcaster talk show host who admits on air that he's taking it, and then all of a sudden there is a rush at all these farm and garden stores to go buy this stuff because, well, so-and-so said he's taking it, that means I can take it too. We used to make our journalists, especially the anchors, responsible for what they did. We mm-hmm. don't hold anybody behind a microphone now responsible. And that's what frustrates me because any Tom, Dick, and Harry, if they say the right thing and they say it loud enough and they say it long enough, people are going to believe it and people are going to be following him back and forth. We have a woman in Pittsburgh right now who used to be a TV news anchor, and I won't mention her name. She was a good TV news anchor until she got herself in trouble. She made a, uh, a, a racial slur. She never apologized for it. She just kept perpetuating it. She got fired. She went on local talk radio. Well, now she becomes the newest supporter of Trump and how Trump is this and the governor here is bad and everything else. And she's become anti-everything except Trump. And now she's telling people not to get the vaccine, even though we know her husband got it because he's a major surgeon in Pittsburgh. And it's just people are following this woman like it is gospel truth and it's like people wake up i know people that i i I feel that are very intelligent that i respect that believe every word she's saying and no matter what i say they go you don't know what you're talking about even though i have the same background the same degree even more but yet i don't know what i'm talking about because they know me personally it's and i one it's dangerous um and two, it's 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 almost impossible. I mean, you can't, um, you know, these people are in their own world. I keep, you know, I keep telling everybody, 
and I, and you and I have talked about before my whole thing about the sports and entertainment bias in media. Yes. What, yes. What has what has transpired in that is, and I keep I keep going back to story structure of movies and and TV mm-hmm. shows. You have the the protagonist, the hero, and the antagonist, and they fight, and there's a battle. Somebody wins, somebody loses, and normally in good television or good film, there's a lesson to be learned no matter who wins or who, who loses. Um, what's happened is that's exacerbated to the point where everybody now is in this hero syndrome. We're the hero of our own lives. And you're beginning to see, and I, I kind of teach this in, in, in different marketing courses, is that, you know, you, Mr. Business Person, you're, you're not the hero. Your customer is the hero. Right. And if you make your customer the hero, they're going to come to you because you're going to help them. It used to be so many businesses where, hey, I'm the one that can help you. I'm great. I'm wonderful. It doesn't do that anymore. The individual right now is the hero of their own story. I talk about, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but the, the guy who shot up the pizza place in, in Washington, D.C., because yeah. he thought yeah. Hillary and Bill Clinton were, were you know, doing it these Satanistic things yeah. to kids down below. All you had to do was listen to the phone message that he sent to his daughter. This guy's from North Carolina. He drove all the way up. He sent a phone message to his daughter. And if you listen to the phone message and don't understand the context of it, this guy's a hero. He's going to save kids. He's going to do something. He's doing something that is going to help people. And he is into this story to the point. I mean, you think he's. You know, he's like, you know, John Wallace, you know, he's 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 the, you know, the, the Scotsman that's going to save him from from the UK. And you you listen, you just listen to him and he's just so ensconced in this. And the majority of people are like that. I mean, we saw that in January 6th. We see people who are like what you're saying. They're just not going to believe anything scientific because we've. We've been in this world of, and I, I keep going back to these business gurus who teach people, oh, you're down and we'll teach you. And what do they teach them? They teach them how to bend reality, right. bend reality. Right. Yes, you can sell that. Yes, you are a hero. You can do this. Yes, you, you, you barely got out of school, but you can be a millionaire. You've got to bend reality. You bend reality. And, and sometimes in business, it works because if in, if in business, if you get 1% of the market, so you've lost 99% of the market, but you get 1%, you're a millionaire. I mean, 1% right. of the market right. in business is really good. But to take it into politics or take it into public health, you know, no. You know, one, changing 1%, ain't going to do anything. You need to get up there and change 50%. So to me, this whole thing of bending reality, this hero syndrome that we all have, we've, we've forgotten about the common good. And that's what's really hurting America today. And I, I just, t- people tell me, how do you get them to change? You're not going to get them to change. We've indoctrinated them into yes. their hero syndrome. And they think you're the idiot trying to help. And it's not, I've got so many friends. I, I can't name them because they're, they're very popular people. They've lost a lot of good friends, friends for 30 years yeah. over the whole Trump thing. And oh, I, they don't talk trust to me. me. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I think is interesting is, and you go back, that congressmen, representatives need to take a test. I think the average adult, and, I, and I'm going to get hell for this, needs mm. to take a test before they can go vote 
to say that they understand the way the system works because the one thing I loved and I still love is that when people were being taken off Facebook, they were being taken off Twitter, they've been taken off whatever, it's freedom of speech. It's freedom of speech. I'm going, okay, your freedom of speech is to stand on your back porch and scream and yell as loud as you can until you start infringing on someone else's rights. If you don't own the media outlet that is being licensed by the FCC, it's not freedom of speech. They're afraid to lose their license. Of course they're going to take you off the air. Of course they're going to pull you off Facebook. It is a business. It's not there for everybody to say how wonderful everything is. Like these these alternative sites like Parler that right now that everybody is, is jumping on or our Webkin, which is a new podcasting site, I guess. That's not what freedom of speech is. These people are just making money off you guys now because they know that they can because you're going to be so far to one side that you're going to do whatever it takes to get that, that small percentage of the audience and you'll pay whatever it costs. They, they're seeing you coming. And these people don't understand it. And that's, you know, it, it kind of goes back to um, when we had the Fairness Doctrine taken away oh, in, the, in the, you know, I guess it was the late 1980s or so. And yeah. that that led yeah. to, you know, that led to actually Fox News, even though I think there's some good things about Fox News. I think overall, I think they're 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 kind of harmful uh, to a lot of different people. Um, and it's just and, and then, you know, news became entertainment. And at the same time, too, I don't think we understand um, people just don't understand what good reporters would go through. I mean, I keep telling people in my years as an investigative reporter, the best stories I had were stories I couldn't put on the air because I couldn't right. get them confirmed. I couldn't get the right sources. Uh, now these people just shout anything oh, and, and just get it up there. And that's what frustrates me. Even when I did radio news on a local level, we couldn't go to air with anything unless we had three confirmations on that story. We had to call the police, we had to call the hospital, and then we had to call whoever originally gave us the information so we could verify it. We couldn't just put something on the air because it was on Facebook, like these other people are doing. However, news stations are doing that now that are taking Facebook stories and they're repackaging them as their own. And um, we're losing a lot of news anchors in the Pittsburgh market, not because of, of the job getting harder, reporting, it's because of all the requirements that are on them right now to do social media to tell the story before they go to the air. And I'm going, then why are they even going to the air? Why don't you just let them do it on social media and be done with it? We'll yeah. have a new social media site. That's it. I mean, I just, I just don't understand where we're going with this. I remember going through four years of school, going through doing internships after internships after internships to be able to learn to do this and be respected and be trusted. And now any Tom, Dick, and Harry can get their own program if they had two minutes of fame walking down the street. And I can guarantee you, in five years, someone that was arrested at the insurrection on the 6th is going to have their own national TV or radio show. Easily. Easily. We did it, we yep. did it to Oliver North. I mean, why not? Let's do it to... Absolutely. So, Absolutely. again, that's been one of my pet peeves for years, is how anybody well, can do this, and yet the people that should be doing it don't have the opportunity. Well, what's interesting is um, um, I, I had somebody who he had written a book and 
uh, the local TV station said, hey, we want to come over and do a story on you. And he goes, OK. And so he's calling me and telling me this story. And uh, the local reporter came over and just a reporter. And he's got the camera. He's got the tripod. He sets the whole thing up. And again, he's the, the guy saying, he says, oh, OK, what? I, I, usually they come with a photographer and then right. the reporter has some questions. And so he sets the whole camera up, puts a mic on him. And so he says to him, OK, before I turn it on, he goes, what do you want me to ask you? And yeah. he was like, what? And uh, so and so he asked me, he goes, is this the way it is? And I go, yeah. I said, reporters are not re- reporters anymore. They're recorders. Yes. All they're doing is they're just recording stuff. Um, we just did um, on my podcast, Daily Fish. We just did the uh, 25th anniversary of the premiere of Real TV, my reality show that mm-hmm. I did back started in 1990. In fact, today is actually the 25th anniversary of the, of the well, premiere. happy anniversary. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, Michael Horowitz, who was one of my senior producers, he he mentioned and, and not bemoaning that real TV helped cause this, but the fact that he goes, he says, these TV news stations are doing or trying to do real TV. And what they're doing is they're getting these videos and they're just showing, you know, violence or a horrible right. crash or something. And it's just going through. And he said one of the things they didn't do, what we did on real TV was we told the story behind the person, you know, who is this person? What were they doing? How did this affect their lives? What's what, what came you, out of you it? You put it in context um, is what you did. Yeah. And he says what they're doing now in the news, it's just this, yeah. you know, yeah. gratuitous violence or gratuitous, you know, accidents and stuff like that that are happening. So it's, um, you know, a lot of our technologies is doing that. And I think people are yearning for to be honest with you, what you and I are doing right here, explaining, talking, yeah. putting our yeah. feelings out here on this. So I think in some respects, that's one reason why people are going to it. And it's why news anchors are either losing their jobs yeah. or, or they can't because, you know, you're right. I mean, you know, if I and what I was explaining to this friend of mine who wrote the book was, you know, this this guy's got to go and get the interview with you. He's got to put the story together. He's got to edit it himself. Used to be right. I had an editor. I had a photographer, you know, and I could write it. And this guy has to do all four of those jobs. Then he's got to go write the story for the uh, TV station's website and put it on there like it's a like it's a, uh, a newspaper story. So how do you expect these these reporters? I mean, they can't do journalism. Again, they're just doing recording. They're not doing reporting. Well, the one thing that frustrates me, and I've noticed this within the last year, because and a lot of my guests are now reaching out to me to be on the program which is fantastic it makes it makes life easier for me instead of me going out and asking them to be on it but i'm having people now saying can you send me the questions in advance i said no why would i do that because if i send you for the questions in advance you're going to be waiting for that question and if i never get to it you're not going to be happy with what i've done and it's like I, I've never in all of my life of doing is had a list of questions, say, here, this is what we're going to talk about for an hour. And I was surprised that I guess this must be the new rule that you have to get the questions before you go on. So you're not surprised or ambushed. If it's a business, yes, they, they normally want to do that. Now, what I do as if somebody says to me, okay, I want to, I want to know what the questions are. So I'm not going to give you the question. I'll give you the topics. Here's what right. I want to cover. I want to cover this. I want to cover this. I want to cover. And you, you did that with me. I want to talk about 9-11. I want to talk about what's yeah. going on in the news. Um, I do that that way. Now, if, if somebody's bringing me on to host 
a podcast for them, I'll lay it out. Here's the here's kind of the outline of it. But if it's going to be a news podcast, then and and you're a public figure or you're an elected yeah. official, yeah, you know, no, I'm not giving you the questions. Now, the the flip side of that is okay. I'll give you the topics, or okay, I'll give you a couple of the questions. You don't know what my follow-up questions are going to be because you're going to say something that I'm going to nail you on. So that's the difference. And, okay. I, maybe I need to look at it that way. That might be more entertaining. Um, but again, it, to me, it's just I, I was surprised by that because, okay, I, I usually, no matter who the guest is, I will talk to them five or ten minutes before we go on. Hey, this is what I want to talk about. Are you okay with that? And then the one thing I always ask them, is there anything you want me to cover in this? So in other words, let me open the door for you, and then you can walk through it and do whatever you need. But I've never had them ask me word for word what the questions were, and it just it just shocked me. It really did, because I didn't know how to react to that. And I told them no, and one of them actually refused to do the program because I would not give them a list of questions up front. I said, so be it. That's the way it's going to be. And that was a, and that was actually an actress who refused to do the program. And it's not that she's a, a, a extremely well-known. She was about 20 years ago, but she didn't feel comfortable. She thought I was going to do gotcha. And I'm going, I have no reason to do that. So, again, it's That's that whole idea of who you trust and who you don't trust. And I always, 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 when I invite someone to be on the program, I always send them the link to the program and say, before you say yes or no, listen to what I'm doing. If you like it, come on. If not, I won't be offended. And I want to know how many people are actually doing that so they know who they are talking to instead of just going in and assuming that everybody's going to be nice and whatever it may be. Yeah, I think you get a lot of that. And I think a lot of people are going on for publicity. I mean, I technically, you know, I'm going on with publicity for you. But at the same time, at the same time, too, it's, um, you know, you could, you know, you could always nail me on. Hey, John, I saw something you posted. Let me ask you about that. You know? um, but there was, um, a, there was a few clothing optional pieces that you messaged me, but I couldn't figure that out. But anyhow, well, uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's you know, did you have to bring that up now? I mean, no. so. <laughs> um, no, but again, but you're right. It, it it is interesting, and and I guess, and then that's the other thing that bothers me too is that when I bring someone on, and maybe it's because of the way I was I was was trained to do this, is that I don't see it as true promotion. I just see it as true information. And but again, everybody has an alternative or ulterior ulterior message. <laughs> or motive to promote something that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I don't see it that way because I don't think that I'm going to be the guy that's doing the fanfare and everything else for you. I feel that I need to get your information out to the public and let the public decide who you are. And then if that's promotion, fantastic. If not, let the chips fall where they may. So again, it, it's all the way you look at the way the program's being produced or who's producing it. And again, you and I are doing this right now. Video makes it a little bit more difficult, but I can edit this for you to make you say whatever I want you to say, and no one would know. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And there's a lot of truth to that. And they can do a lot of different things. And you could even you could even change my words if you wanted to uh, in here to to come across. Oh, do you believe what John Daly said to me? Yeah. So, I mean, that's wow. that's within the realm of technology today. And, you know, you know, for the most part, you know, people are looking for 
they just want human touch more than anything else. That's why they'd be watching it. Um, you know, am I trying to promote my different things? Yeah, if I get a chance to, but I'm, I'm much more interested in, you know, getting to the topics that you're covering because I know you cover great topics and you like a wide range of, uh, of views. So I think most people who are going to be watching you aren't thinking, uh, okay, Bill's going to nail this guy. Well, but the other thing that Bill's worried about, too, is Bill's worried that people are thinking, well, he's just bringing them on so he can sell a book. That's the other thing, because I'm getting out now, and, and for those authors that I have scheduled, I apologize for saying this, but I do have authors that have written one or two books that no one's ever heard of, and now they're reaching out to me saying, oh, I need to promote this book in your program. Can you do it? And I read the book going, have you listened to the program? This is not what we cover. <laughs> but again... Whoever the PR that. person is, it's like they don't get the connection. They just see a name, they see numbers, and they see that going, that's a perfect fit. They don't do their own research. I do mine. I, agree. I know pretty I agree. much everybody, if I have anybody that comes on this program, it's my responsibility to know who they are before I have them on the air with me and not to be surprised by something they say. Yeah. And that's and that's the way I've always looked at it. I know who you are. I know enough of your background to know who you are. I follow you now online, and I know where you're going to come from in the conversation. So, if I would ever think that you would try to throw something at me that would put me on the spot, I'd never have you on. Because I'm not only protecting me, I'm protecting you by doing that. Well, I know you were you, you're in McKeesport, so I know that that's Actually, I got to hold that against you. So I'm not in McKeesport. The station I worked on the station was you were in at McKeesport. Was yeah. Right. I'm actually I I'm actually born and raised in Mars, Pennsylvania, north of the city of Pittsburgh. So I am a 1984 graduate of Mars Ooh. Area High School. Our mascot was the Fighting Planets. Why we weren't the Martians, I have no idea. And I've been living in Brownsville, Pennsylvania now for almost 30 years. So that's where I'm located. But McKeesport's only 20 minutes away from where I'm at. So that was the station that I was on. Well, but my, I know my wife have... was my wife was born in McKeesport. Yes. So but I, w- I would have named your your team Uranus. <laughs> yeah, we may end that right there. Um, so have you been back to McKeesport in the last in the recent past? Um, we've the last, we were actually in Irwin, Pennsylvania, taking care of, of an aunt. Um, and we were there right around the time of the election when, uh, it was the off, uh, when I'm drawing a blank on his name, he's going to be running for Senate, but he's a Congressman, um, in your area there. Um, so we were there in the winter in Irwin, Pennsylvania, and okay. we were at, we were at the Capitol grill and I did some great segments on their, uh, chicken wings there. So, yes. um, yes. but, um, I haven't, haven't had a chance to go back. We actually, we would go back cause of family, but a lot of the family has died off there. So, uh, we haven't been back there in a while. Should, should I go back? Well, the set, the reason I ask is because. McKeesport is one of those communities that had one heck of a history to it. And unfortunately, because of the the mills, the mines, and everything that were there, it was an industrial town that basically shut itself down. Now, they are reinventing themselves, which is a wonderful thing. But 
it does not look anything like it did when your wife grew up there. And that's why I was just wondering to see what her perception would be of going back now. Because if I go back to where I grew up, it is totally different. We were a small rural community. Now it's one of the fastest growing suburbs of, of, uh, of the city of Pittsburgh and one of the fastest growing suburbs in the United States where I grew up. And that's because of the major highways that met up basically right in that one spot. So I was just curious if she could do any compare and contrasting of when she yeah. was there last time. No, she hasn't. But um, I guess my question would be, um, has the has COVID exacerbated that people maybe kind of flying out of the city to the well, uh, suburbs? Here? The bad thing about, about the whole COVID thing is that we have a, a large, we actually have a very good vaccine um, rate that has happened in the state. However, now all of a sudden we have anti-maskers coming in who are now basically pushing their will on everybody else, especially in the public schools. And yeah. that's all that's taking over our news right now is because there's a mandate from our governor saying you must wear masks in buildings holding K through 12 students in it. And what's happening is, is these, as my wife calls them, free breathers, feel the need to basically say, no, my kid's not going to wear a mask because it's detrimental to their health, da-da-da-da-da. And I, and I keep looking at these people going, why is it okay to ignore my rights, but I have to accept yours? And we would have lost World War II if the U.S. citizens felt the way you do right now because we would have never rationed we would have never done any of this stuff because we're only in it for me mm -hmm. and that's what we're dealing with right now i never thought i would see that in western pennsylvania but it has turned more red after the last president because they thought he was going to be the saving grace that he was going to save the mills he was going to save the mines he was going to say all this business and guess what nothing happened on, on only thing that happened is people became more angry and more upset and they don't want to talk to their neighbor and they don't understand why their neighbor's driving a new car yet they're driving a car that's 15 years old there is no community anymore and that's what scares me is that we're noticing that community is disappearing yep and we, we also we got to get a lot of these people back to work and it's very difficult to find them jobs especially you know jobs that they've been used to the factories and the mills the unions and that's 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 the tough part. But the bad thing about that tough part is, is my wife works for an economic development agency in the county I live in. We have more jobs now available for skilled and high skilled labor than we've had in the last 20 years. And they can't find people to do it. For goodness sake, Burger King here is doing three hundred dollar sign on bonuses for 14 and 15 year olds to take a job because they cannot find people to work and now their sign says work today we'll pay you tomorrow because they can't keep it because there's so many jobs with so many vacancies that are paying so much better that these kids get some little bit of work experience they can go anywhere else I still remember what my first job was I remember what what my first radio job paid and it was nothing like what these kids are making. And I had a four-year graduate, four-year degree under my belt, and I was making minimum wage. Yeah. So it is a different time, and we are seeing some changes. Unfortunately, there is an older population that thinks a lot of these jobs are beneath them, 
and they mm-hmm. don't want to because they don't want to do that because the mines, the mills, and that are not coming back, at least not the way they were here before. Um, nope. When you talk to people that work in the mines, and I did not know this, you need at least a two-year associate degree to go back into the coal mine because of the technology mm-hmm. that they're using underground. And I'm going, I would have never known that. And how many people are going to be willing to go be trained for that? So, again, we're seeing a lot of things happening. I don't know if it's for better or for worse, but they're happening. Well, unfortunately, and it's kind of it's it's a little bit Darwinism. I mean, you're going to see a lot of people that are kind of falling off, dying or being reliant on it. And um, it's it's going to come around. We're in the midst of some really big changes that were happening even before the pandemic and the pandemic has only, you know, exacerbated them. And we've, we've probably got about another six to eight years of, you know, fleshing these things out. It's kind of like, you know, it was like the end of the 1920s when the depression hit, you know, not that we're in a depression. I'm not saying that, but the, the social and the economic and the demographic changes are all hitting at the same time. So they're just causing, you know, it's confusion for the majority of people. The last thing I'll ask you before I let you go, do you think that the situation was made worse because who the last president was? If you feel that anybody else would have been president, would have everything still stayed under the radar or would it still bubble to the surface eventually? Um, I have always said that Donald Trump was not a cause. He was a symptom. Um, And it it makes sense that he became president based on all the things we're talking about, you know, the individual over the common good, um, you know, people trying to be the hero of their own story. Uh, It's, you know, the, the changing in technology, the demographics, uh, you know, that ties into, you know, the racism and all that. So um, I, you know, I think he was he was he was destined to be president. I mean, the cards were just there for him to do it. Um, I think we would we would be heading to something even without him. Um, in some respects, I think he's he just kind of goosed along. I think it's the same thing with COVID. I think, you know, these things were going to happen. I think COVID just moved things along even quicker. Um, and so we were we're going through there's there's a great book it's called the um the uh storm before the calm it's written by george and i'm drawing a blank on his name um but it's it's a fascinating book and he wrote it he wrote it about a year before covid but you looked at everything and you went oh my god and then the covid just exposed it even more so we've hopefully it's bringing it on faster um but at the same time too we've got great technologies that are beginning to happen that are going to be saving lives. They're going to be making things easier for us. It's just that, you know, as, as people were, we're behind, we're always behind where we don't, we don't get ahead of trends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've got, I think we got another three or four years of, you know, instability here. And, uh, you know, and you look at the rest of the world, the rest of the world is, you know, turning very, um, fascist, um, very totalitarian, and uh, I know we've we've got that tendency too. Um, and it's you know we we got a lot to deal with. I mean, we're no longer 
the one superpower. And that's that's changing so many things. It's going to change our, you know, how we work, how we go to school and, um, you know, how we raise our kids. So there's 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 I think there's some instability for the next for the next four years that will iron things out that will eventually happen. But uh, yeah. And we've got 30 percent of the country that just doesn't believe in science or research. Yeah, so it's it's yeah, tough. It's sad. And the part of that I blame on the edu- education system, but that's a story for another time yeah. because I, of I what agree. we've done there. John, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to have you on the program. Um, I'll have you back on again before the first of the year because I know there's going to be a lot of things changing between now and then. Good luck on the new podcast. Congratulations on today being your 25th anniversary of Real TV and and good luck with everything because it sounds to me like you have everything move, at least rolling in the right direction certainly things are moving I'm, I'm hoping i'm hoping that i'm going to be as good as you someday so <laughs> uh you surpassed me years ago don't worry about that i don't know about that my John, friend always a pleasure being with you thank you i really appreciate it thank you very much you have a great day bye-bye talk to you soon Well, a big thank you to John Daly for joining us this afternoon. Really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out his website, johndaly.tv. That's J-O-H-N-D-A-L-Y.tv. And also, we talked about news.tv, which is N-O-O-Z.tv. That's going to wrap it up for yours truly, Bill Alexander. Thank you very much for joining me here on One on One with Bill Alexander. And stop by the website, One on One with Bill. Again, that's the number one. Guys, you have a great one. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.